First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen this morning. As we continue our series in the book of First Thessalonians. While you're finding First Thessalonians chapter four, just a couple of reminders. Next week is also a very special Sunday for us at the Oasis. It will be our sixth anniversary as a church. And we're hoping that maybe close to our seventh anniversary, we'll be able to be in our new building. But we'll talk about that later. Um, We are going to have, uh, at the end of the service, just a short uh, presentation to you guys about where we are in the process and uh, all of that. So we're looking forward to that next week. And then the uh, week after that, so two weeks from today, April the 10th, uh, is our next potluck. And uh, we'd love for you to go out to the lobby and sign up for that and uh, be a part of that. It's a great way for us as a church family to come together and to eat together and just hang out together and get to know each other and and even build and forge new friendships and uh, also to maybe uh, just keep up with the friendships that are already there that you have with your spiritual family. So that's April the 10th. And then the following weekend, there's going to be a small group of us from the Oasis who will be in Mexico that weekend uh, going down. And uh, that leads me to a couple other than announcements. In the back, in the lobby, uh, Judy has set up a great display. uh, And there are a list of things that we could take down to that church uh, that would be a, a, a great blessing to them. And so we would encourage you to go out there and check out what some of those items are. And if you could bring those in in the next couple of weeks so that the group that goes down uh, in April, we can take those things down and bless them with it. Uh, Also, we have another opportunity for you all to be generous in giving. And that is Toby uh, has a list of things that the park ministry could use as we minister to the homeless Uh, And that's also out there as well. So please uh, look at that. Uh, I know that they really appreciate uh, the things that we can do for them. And uh, we appreciate Toby uh, heading up that ministry and making that list available. Also, men, don't forget to go out and see Woody and sign up for the men's retreat that will be coming up uh, in another month or so. And uh, that's always a great weekend for the men of our church as well. So a lot going on we want you to be aware of. Don't want you to miss out on anything that will truly bless you and uh, encourage you in a spiritual way. So today, uh, we just happen, though nothing just happens, we just happen to land on these couple of verses in 1 Thessalonians through our series that talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, only God can... can you know, orchestrate that kind of stuff. But that's where we are today. But I want to set a little bit of the context here and why Paul, I think, sort of dives into this subject at this particular time. If you remember last week, in verse 12 of chapter 4, Paul was challenging Christians to live decently before those outside, meaning unbelievers, those who do not claim to have a relationship with God, those outside the church. And the word decent speaks about living a life that is attractive to others, living a life that is appealing to others. 
In other words, living as Christians in such a way that others desire the kind of life that we have. That is a real challenge because many of us as Christians, we're not living that way. That's why a lot of folks outside the church or those that don't believe in Jesus Christ, that's why they're not you know, embracing it because we're not doing a very good or as good a job as we could at portraying the difference that Jesus Christ can make in one's life and the power that we can have through Christ. But it's then based on that context and that foundation that Paul then dives into this next subject, which is where he's talking really about death and dying. Because it is our perspective on death and dying as a Christian that really can distinguish the reality of God in our lives and be a great witness, especially to those that do not claim a relationship with God. That's where Paul goes with this subject this morning. So please follow along as I read just two verses today that we're going to cover, because next week... I invite you back next week because we're going to talk about the rapture of the church. Uh, And that's uh, in verses 15 through the rest of the chapter. But today we just want to focus on verses 13 and 14. Where Paul says, now we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. Since Paul and his team had left Thessalonica, there were those brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the spiritual family and community there in Thessalonica, that had died. And so their correspondence back to Paul was, They started to think about death, their own death. They started to think about, obviously, the death of their spiritual family. And they were like, how should we look at this? Uh, And especially for those Christians who've already died, what part will they play in the return of Christ? And are they going to miss it? And all of that. So that's why Paul takes the rest of chapter 4 to talk about this subject. But today, I just want to focus on the first two verses. And notice Paul starts out by saying, brothers and sisters, he's writing to Christians here. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed. You could also use the word unaware. You could even use the word ignorant, speaking of of ignorance of a subject. Paul says, it's not good that Christians especially be ignorant of certain truths that can not only change the way we look at things, but change the way we live our lives. And obviously, one of those subjects is on death and dying. And so Paul is saying, it is our responsibility as Christians, then, to make sure that we are acquiring the right information on subjects. And especially a subject about death and dying and what happens to us after we die. That's a really important subject. One that most people in the world want to avoid. They don't want to talk about death. They don't want to think about death. Because for them, that's, that's something they just want to think, uh, you know, not about. They think they're going to avoid it. They think somehow they're going to escape it. But we know down through human history, no human being escapes death. 
everyone is one day going to die, except those who are alive when Jesus comes back at the rapture, something we'll talk about next week. But it's up to us to acquire the right information about things, about these truths. This is vital to our lives, spiritually, physically, emotionally. These can be so beneficial, but it, it's important that we acquire the right information. Uh, just like today, we live in an information overload world. There is so much information out there. And not all of it, especially dealing with spiritual things or things about Jesus and biblical things, is right. A lot of it is misinformation. A lot of it is wrong. So it's not just about making sure that we are in a place in our lives where we are acquiring information, but where we are acquiring accurate information, the right information, biblical information, information that lines up with what God has said in his word. And that's what Paul is starting out here when he says to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware, you see. That's our responsibility. Are you and I putting ourselves in an environment where we are acquiring continually the right information about things? And then he goes on to say, specifically in this context, I want you not to be unaware about those who have fallen asleep. The words fallen asleep are a biblical metaphor for those who have died. Why does the Bible use sleep as a metaphor for death. Because one thing that the Bible wants to get across to us is that death is not the end of our existence. Though there are many people throughout the world who have believed that once you die, that's it, you're dead, you don't exist anymore. That'd be pretty terrible if that was true. Uh, that that's not true according to the Bible. Uh, in fact, the word cemetery, where people are placed after they die simply means a place of sleep why does the bible use that because just like when we are asleep we're going to wake back up you know sleep is not the end for us it's just sort of the cessation of activity it's our body at rest and that's the way a body looks whenever it's dead it simply looks like they're asleep and so that's why the bible uses that term in fact, to show you in another place that that is exactly what the Bible's talking about when it uses the word sleep, I want you to keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians and I want you to go back to the Gospel of John chapter 11. A very familiar passage to maybe many of you because you understand when I say John 11, that's the chapter where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But in John chapter 11, even before he goes to Lazarus, he is informing the disciples about Lazarus' condition. And I want to begin in verse 11 of John chapter 11. And this passage will show you, along with others that I could, that when the Bible uses the word sleep, it's referring to physical death. Jesus said, after this, he, sa he added, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, John eleven eleven, But I'm going there to awaken him. Then the disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll, he'll recover. In other words, uh, he doesn't need you. He'll wake up on his own. 
if he's fallen asleep. But now Jesus had been talking about, notice, his death. But they thought he had been talking about real sleep, physical sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about somebody being asleep. So back to 1 Thessalonians then. When Paul is writing to the Thessalonian Christians, and he's heard some questioning that they've had regarding death and dying and all that, he writes them back in this letter, and one of the purposes of this letter is to answer their questions specifically about death and dying. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to have the right information about those who have died. Why does he say that? He goes on. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. First of all, Paul is saying, I recognize that when we have people who die who we're close to, we're going to grieve. Everyone grieves. The Bible's not against grieving. The Bible simply is saying that as a Christian, as one who has the right information about death and dying, when other Christians die or when we die, it should affect the way we look at death. It should affect the way we grieve. It's not that we're not going to grieve when people die. It's simply that we're should, we should grieve differently. There should be a distinction to the way we grieve. Some of you here, you may be continuing to struggle in your relationship with God and in your spiritual life because you've never grieved over someone that you lost in a healthy biblical way. And you are allowing not grieving in a healthy biblical way to basically hamper and hinder your life. And when you and I as believers especially don't learn how to grieve with hope, how to grieve biblically, if you will, then it's going to affect us negatively, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. We are given permission to grieve. And, and all of us, because we're individuals and we're unique creations of God, we're also going to grieve very uniquely. No two of us will grieve exactly the same when we lose someone. But even though we won't grieve exactly the same, we should grieve as those who have hope, not as those who have no hope. The word grieve here simply means to experience pain, distress, sorrow. In fact, it even speaks about sort of a heaviness that can exist in our life. And we all get that when we have someone that we know who's died. We should grieve. It's important that we grieve. But Paul is making a distinction here. Again, based upon the fact that we should be living out the reality of God and our faith before others, we should always be grieving like those who have hope, not like those who have no hope. That's why the funeral service or memorial service of a Christian 
should look much different than the funeral or memorial service of one who had no hope. And trust me, because of who I am, the role that I take as a pastor, I've probably been to more funeral services and memorial services than you have. Simply because I do them. You see. I don't just go to those of my family and friends. I go to many, many funerals and memorial services. And I have seen over the years the difference that hope can make and that the reality of God in someone's life when it comes to that moment. For a Christian and for those that they knew Christ, it's more of a celebration than it is a a, a depressing situation. But a group of people who don't know God and, and, and... This person probably went out into eternity apart from Christ. It takes on a whole different feel and flavor to it. And that's why Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, let's let's realize the opportunity that you and I have, especially when it comes to something like death. Because I even recognize as a pastor that, that funeral services and memorial services are some of the greatest opportunities that I get as a pastor to share God's word with people. Why? Because I have an opportunity at that time to talk to people about the truth of God that might never darken the doors of our church. They might not ever come to church, but they now have the opportunity to hear God's word at that memorial service. And I want to make sure before any of them leave, That maybe up to that point, they had no hope when it came to death. But that they could leave with the right information knowing that they don't have to live their lives in that condition any longer. And that they can begin to grieve those who know the Lord around them, not as one who has no hope, but as those who have hope. What is hope? Well, let's also say that hope in the Bible is different from the way we use the word hope in our language. When we say, I hope something happens, we're speaking about a strong wish or desire. It's like when I have the opportunity to talk to people about faith and spiritual things. I run into a lot of people who say, I hope I go to heaven when I die. They have no confidence But they are expressing a strong wish and strong desire that when they die, they hope they're going to go to heaven. That's not biblical hope. That's not the way the Bible uses the word hope. That's not the way it's defined in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is what you and I can be confident in because of something that is sure and certain to happen. That's hope. And that's the kind of hope that God wants us to have as his children that can make us different and distinct from those who Paul says here are the rest in the world who have no hope. See, there's really only two kinds of people in this world. In fact, even here in this auditorium this morning, there's only two kinds of people here today. You're either sitting here this morning and you have hope when it comes to death and dying or you're sitting here this morning And you have no hope. You might have a strong wish or desire, but you have no confidence. You have no certainty. You have no surety 
about what's going to happen to you when you die and where you're going to go after you die. And Paul said, that's the difference that Christ can make. And that's why Paul goes on here then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to say this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Let's stop there. The word believe here is a key word. Because again, this word in our language many times just speaks about something that can be comprehended in an intellectual way. Something that we can give intellectual assent to. I, I, I understand it. I grasp it. So therefore, I, I believe it, right? And it's just a head thing. It's just a brain thing. But that's not the way the Bible uses this word believe. When the Bible uses the word believe, when God uses the word believe, it's a heart thing, not a head thing. See, the Bible teaches us that the demons believe in Jesus Christ and tremble. But that's not salvation belief. That's not biblical belief. Biblical belief isn't just knowing something in my head It's allowing it to affect my heart. And my heart is the center of my passions and my desires and my will. That's my heart. The Bible never refers to the heart as the beating instrument that pumps blood through our body. It's never used in a physical way. It's always used in speaking about the center of our emotions, our will, our desires, our affections. And when the word belief is used in the Bible... When Paul says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he's not talking about something that I just understand in my head. Again, demons believe that. It's about what has gripped and captivated my heart. What am I, what I'm allowing to literally impact and change and transform the very way I live. Because if I believe something biblically, it changes the way I live my life. That's why anybody can profess to be a Christian. Anybody can profess to know God. But the Bible teaches that only those who are allowing God to change their lives from the inside out are truly have a knowledge of God in that way. That's why Jesus said, many honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And God knows our heart today. He knows your heart. He knows the condition of your heart, where you're at. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Not that you just believe it in your head and you can comprehend it. That's why in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, Paul said to the Romans that if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's believing it in the heart that makes the difference. Many years ago, I had one of my spiritual mentors say that there will be people who miss eternity in heaven with God for about as many inches it is between the brain and the heart. Because they they get it up here, but it never affects this right here. See? And so that's why it's important that we stop at this moment and understand what the word believe means. And then Paul goes on to say, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
Now, you know I like to refer to the original languages, so I don't want to get too Greeky on you here. But in the original language, that phrase, Jesus died and rose again, is in what's called the aorist active indicative mode. And simply what that means is that the author who was writing this looked at that as historical fact. To him, it's fact. Because again, here's an important point. Yes, God calls us to faith. But biblical faith is always based on fact. There is no such thing in the Bible as blind faith. In fact, that's one of the criticisms that people who don't know God think about us as Christians. Oh, you Christians, you're just so foolish. You just, you just blindly believe whatever the Bible says, and you just blindly believe this God. No, we don't. And if you do, that's not biblical faith. God has given us historical facts, plenty of evidence. He just says, will you believe the evidence that I've given you? You say, evidence? Yeah. There is so much evidence that, first of all, a man named Jesus actually existed, that he died at the time that the Bible claims he died under Roman authority, And that he rose from the dead. You say, what's the evidence? Well, the Bible says and others say, in fact, even skeptics say, he appeared to me. The Bible says in in many places, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says, I'm giving you this good news. And part of this good news isn't just that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures, but that he appeared In fact, Paul goes on to say, he appeared after his resurrection to 500 people at one time. That's like, it's so, it's so hilarious that down through history, people have tried to disprove the resurrection. Can I tell you this morning, you won't be able to disprove the resurrection. If if you're here this morning and you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's fine. That's your choice. You can doubt it. You can deny it. But just because you and I deny something doesn't mean it's not real. But you can't disprove it. People have been trying to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reality of the resurrection for 2,000 years. They can't do it. You know why? Because there's too much evidence for it. And then they'll say, well, he just appeared to the people that believed in him in the first place. No, he didn't. He appeared to his own family who didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in him until after they saw him rise from the dead. And then there was someone like Paul, who think about how humbling and humiliating it would be for someone like Paul to claim that he saw Jesus alive. Because Paul had lived his whole life basically staking his life, his ministry, the pursuit of his life on the claim that Jesus was not the Messiah and did not rise from the dead. So how humbling would it be for Paul to go, "Uh, I was wrong. And you know why I know I'm wrong? Because I saw Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just appear to those that believed in him or followed him. He appeared to many, many people. And that's why Luke writes in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 3 to his friend Theophilus, I can give you many convincing proofs about what we believe. 
When he uses that word proof, it speaks about something that is unmistakable and irrefutable. There is no one you'll ever come in contact with who can disprove the resurrection. They can deny it, but they can't disprove it. And I've shared with that with you before. You know, people who have a lot more intellect and, and degrees beside their name and all of those things, they can come up with no naturalistic theory to disprove the resurrection. In fact, their theories are so lame that other Christians don't even have to attack them. They get attacked by people that don't even believe in Jesus. They're like, oh, that's, that's bad. Don't, can't believe in that. That was like when they trot out things like the hallucination theory, like they all saw hallucination of Jesus. No. They don't, they don't stand up. So Paul says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that this morning? I mean, that's going to make the whole difference in your life, in how you live life. And how you look at death and dying, that fact alone in your life and my life is going to make all the difference. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Why? Because Jesus said, if you believe I died and rose again, if you believe I conquered death, then you'll live as well. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you will die, you will live again. In fact, he says, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. We're going to get to why he says that in just a moment. So that's why Paul goes on to say, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we also believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. This would have been of great comfort and encouragement to these folks in Thessalonica. Because again, one of the things they were curious about and wanted to know more about and acquire the right information about is where will those Christians who've died, how will they fit in to the return of God? Will they miss it? And Paul said, oh no, far from missing it. Jesus is going to bring them back with him from heaven when he comes. They're going to accompany him so that we can all be together at the same time. Now, let me also say this. Jesus can't bring those back with him if they're not already with him. Get where I'm going with that? Because there are many people that believe that that. When they die, even Christians, well, I'm I'm not really going to go right to heaven and be with Jesus. I'm going to end up going somewhere else until my body's resurrected. No. No, the Bible clearly teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus even told the thief on the cross that day he was crucified next to him. Today, you'll be with who? Me in paradise. And paradise is just another name for heaven, folks. See, that's why I know. I know. I I don't want to die. I want to live as long as God allows me to live and as long as he feels that I'm, you know, productive and beneficial and profitable in this world. But the day God calls me home, I know that as soon as I close my eyes in death, I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm going to heaven. I know that. It's not because I'm a pastor. 
It's not because I'm a good enough person. It's because there came a point in my life where I believe Jesus died and rose again. And I trust him that even in death, I have that confidence. I have that hope. I hope you have that hope as well. So back to that passage in John 11. Why does Jesus say to those who believe in him that if we live and believe in him, we'll never die? Aren't there Christians all over the, the, the world for the last couple thousand years that have died physically? Yeah. But the word that Jesus uses there, the word die, speaks about separation. In fact, that's really the essence of what the word dying or death means. It means separation. And let's remember as a Christian that the Bible teaches that even in death and through death, as we cross over, if you will, to the other side, that we are never separated from Jesus. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8 that even death cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are never separated from God, even through death. God is with us every step of the way through our death and dying experience and will be there with us the moment we die and will be there with us the exact second after death. We are never alone. That's why the psalmist writes, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God gives Christians a dying grace, a supernatural enablement even in their death. That's why even Christians who are dying, even die differently than those without Christ. I've seen it. I've been in hospital rooms. I've been in hospice cares. I've been at the beds of people who die in my life as a pastor. And I see the difference that Jesus Christ and his knowledge and the hope that he can give us makes at those moments in our life. And it's powerful. And it's something that shouldn't just affect us when we die or are dying. It's something that should impact and motivate us every day that we live. Because none of us knows when that day's coming. And can I tell you, as a pastor, I've done more funerals and memorial services for people whose death was unexpected and sudden than for those that were seeing it coming. No matter what age they were. Because we don't know when that day is going to come. That's why an interesting passage to study sometimes, speaking about this dying grace and the grace that God gives. Because many times, even as human beings, as Christians, when we see and we hear about how maybe even other Christians have died, we think about the horror that they went through. But you and I have got to remember that God gives people, especially his children, a special grace when they're dying. Even horrific deaths. That's why Stephen... In the book of Acts, as he was being murdered, as he was being stoned to death, still had the wherewithal to carry on a prayer conversation with God and say, God, please forgive these people for murdering me right now and pelting me with these stones. You say, how could anybody at that moment have that kind of clarity and that kind of composure? Because God gave Stephen that clarity and composure. God gave Stephen, even in the moment that he was dying, a grace that can only be explained by the power and presence of God in his life. And God will give that to you and me when that time comes. He won't give it to us before it comes, but when we need it, it will be there because God's grace is sufficient. 
And so Paul says that we also believe that if God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. That's the key, folks. That's the key. Are you and I going to experience death as a Christian? Literally, with Christ or through Christ. That's going to make all the difference in the world. Because one day, if you and I are not in that one generation in history that will be alive when the rapture takes place, we will die. We will. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die. By the way, that verse alone knocks off the whole uh, reincarnation theory, doesn't it? It doesn't say in the Bible that we die multiple times and we live multiple lives. The Bible teaches it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, judgment before God. You see, the Bible teaches that death is an appointment. Literally, it speaks about a reservation that's awaiting us. Now, there's some reservations we look forward to. We don't look forward to that reservation. (laughs) But the Bible is simply saying, whether you look forward to it or not, it is a reality that is going to come to your life and mine. Because you can say, well, I'm not going to die. Well, take that up with the other billions of people for the last couple thousand years that have. None of us are going to escape death. One day, some minister or pastor or priest is going to be doing your funeral service and your memorial service. And here's the question. Will they be able to do that service with confidence that they knew where you were going to go When you die. And are you going to face that moment in your life with hope and confidence? Do you have it today? I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up on stage. But please hang in there with me as they come and move. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But folks, can I tell you, as a Christian, I don't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus once a year. I celebrate it 52 times a year on Sunday. In fact, I celebrate it 365 days a year. Because for me, knowing that Jesus died and rose again makes all the difference, not just in how I look at death, but how I live my life. Those who are most prepared to die are most prepared to live. You know why? Because I don't live my life one second in fear of death. Because the Bible teaches that when Jesus came and took on humanity, He took on humanity and was willing to basically pull the plug on the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, Hebrews 2.14, and deliver those, set those free, who through all their lifetime had a fear of dying. See, having Jesus Christ in our life releases us from the fear and dread and terror of death. Because we know 
what's going to happen to us when we die. And we know what's going to happen to our brothers and sisters when they die. And we know that all those that we know who know Christ along with us, that we will spend eternity together, that we will see each other again, that we are only separated for a short amount of time based on eternity. That's like I stand before you today knowing that one day I'm going to be reunited with my father who's been in heaven for now 26 years and my brother and sister. And many other family members and brothers and sisters in Christ who've already been in heaven. I know one day I'm going to see them again and will never be separated again. I have that hope. And that hope makes all the difference in the world. Even that day I preached my own father's funeral. I'm not going to lie, that was tough. But I was able to do it for two reasons. One, because of the grace that God gave me that day. And two, because of the hope that I knew that me and dad were going to be together again. Do you have that hope? I'm going to invite us to stand. And as you stand, could I also invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. With no one looking around but me, I want to ask a question here this morning. How many of you here this morning, you have this hope, this confidence, this certainty, this surety that Paul's talking about here? Because there was a time in your life where you're in your heart... You believe that Jesus died and rose again. And if you were to die today, if you were to fall asleep today, you would fall asleep as a Christian. You would die and go to be with Christ in heaven. If you have that confidence, that hope, would you raise your hand right now? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. For those of you that could not raise your hand, let me invite you today to seek out someone that you know you are confident in. They know Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with them. And they have this hope. And sit down with them and ask them how you can have that hope, that certainty, that assurance in your life today. Because, folks, that day is coming for all of us. That day where we will cross over from this existence and we will enter into an eternal existence with God in heaven. That day is coming. God has come to earth to give us life. And part of that life is having the hope and certainty and surety in our lives every day that we know what's going to happen to us when we die. We know where we're going to go. We don't have a fear or dread or terror of death. We, in fact, look at it as a promotion. Because Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The word gain there means a promotion. It's not a punishment for the Christian. It's we go from this world to a much better world. In a glorified body that will never experience pain and sickness and disease and death ever again. That's what we look forward to. 
do you have that hope this morning? And then before we sing this song, I know that there's probably not every one of us, I should say it that way, that there's somebody in our life that we know they don't have that hope. They don't have that hope. And I think that for us, what can we do for them? Well, obviously we can be praying for them. But two, I think we can, we can do what Paul told us to do last week. And that was, that is that we can live a life before them in such a way that they will desire to have what we have. That our life with Jesus Christ will make such a difference to them that it'll be so attractive, so appealing, that they will want to come and say, I want the kind of life you have. Tell me how I can have that. So I pray today that everyone here would have this hope and confidence and that too, God, that you would look into our hearts and see that there are other people that we are concerned about Because we know, God, they don't have the same hope that we do. They don't have that confidence. They live their lives in fear every day. It's not just fear of death, it's fear of life. And God, we thank you that you have come not to just give us life, but to set us free and release us from the fear of life. So God, help us to use this ending song today to make a public declaration as your people that God everything goes back to you everything is because of you you have done it all for us God we have simply been called to believe and as believers God we are standing up today on Easter Sunday 2016 and we are proclaiming to this world God our hope in you our confidence because of you that's in our life. God, help us to live our lives for you so out loud that the world cannot help but hear us and see us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.